So welcome Stacey C.C. Graham to Keen on Yoga. Um, Stacey is the founder of Oya brand for women of color. Um, and I'm really pleased basically to have you today to, to share a little discussion. Welcome. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. Um, and Stacey's coming from London today. So um, I feel slightly nostalgic that she's back in London <laughs> as I'm... Well, you can see from this umbrella behind me that I'm actually in Bali. They have these yellow umbrellas everywhere you can see. Um, they're currently in Bali, um, which is a long way from London. Um, and I, I think I'm on the on the front foot, as it were, because Stacey's uh, waking up at nine and I'm... Um, you know, very woken up now at four with, with much co coffee in the system, so ready to go. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'll quit that babble and uh, we'll just get straight into the, the, uh, the nuts and bolts of it. Stacey, can you just explain a little bit, you know, what inspired you to start the brand and, um, yeah, and how, how it's developed and we can take it from there, I suppose. Sure. I founded Oya Body, Mind, Spirit Retreats in 2016 uh, here in London. Uh, and it's specifically for black women and women of color. And I basically, it didn't matter where I was in Europe when I took part in different types of retreats, whether it was wellness, meditation, I was always the only one. Um, not only um, is that particularly uncomfortable when in a space where you want to be able to talk about your full life's experiences, but it also can lead to uh, a particular tension as the only one of anything. I'm sure um, people who are male identified experience that sometimes in yoga spaces that are full of women. And um, for me, um, you know, there's this multidimensionality because I'm not only a woman, I'm a black woman. And it's always kind of this unspoken thing in the space. And I never felt like I could fully allow myself to be present to everything that was coming up. I always felt like I had to regulate for other things coming up with different people, a bit on guard about what people may or may not say. And so I just recognized that it would be really uh, useful to create a healing space for Black women and women of color where we're coming from similar points of departure. Of course, we all have our own experiences, <clears throat> but there's a, a shared understanding and it makes it easier to arrive in the space and really get into the work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you put it like that, it just it makes perfect sense. I think when you're doing something so vulnerable, anyway, you know, opening yourself up in such a way that it's so um, it's so profound. And and I mean, and, and no one can know how that feels until you start doing the, the, the yoga practice, and you kind of realize when you move your body, and it's it's different to playing football or you know we call it you know football soccer or whatever you know whatever else you know it's a different experience you know it, it, and and you need to feel really supported and I think you know I felt increasingly that, that you know that the yoga scene when you walk into the room of a yoga studio even as a teacher I often felt like kind of like this is a bit harsh on the outside world right like I felt more right. comfortable on the street than in here so I mean and that's just me being like of a default you know regular how would you call it? Like I'm a white male, basically, you know? Right. So like I was mm -hmm. amongst, roughly amongst peers. I mean, okay, there's more women there, but you know. Um, so, you know, I can, yeah, I can absolutely understand it. I mean, and how, I mean, I suppose, how, how have people perceived that? You talked to, you've had a little bit of pushback generally from, you say from white women about feeling excluded, right? Um, yes. So I, I have to say, I'm not too concerned about it because that feedback has been very minimal. Um, I think people just like to, to cause 
commotion where they can. Um, but often I have asked, you know, when people say something on Twitter, for example, I'll ask, so are you concerned that you're not allowed to participate? Because the question is often, well, what about white women? And I'll ask, are you concerned about you're not being able to participate? Because you haven't asked about anyone else. You haven't said, what about black men, for example? You haven't asked about men of color. You just said, what about white women? Um, and then, you know, it's normally crickets after that. So I don't, I come from a place of, uh, let's focus on how we can, uh, create community. And I don't think anyone can deny that they're specifically here in the UK and in London. We have built community in South Africa. We've been in the Netherlands. We've been in Vienna and so forth. And to my great surprise, we even have people who fly all the way from the US for every retreat that we offer, which is amazing to me. Um, so I really come from a place of building community. And it's clear to me if people are willing to fly hours and hours to be a part of that community that we're offering something that is needed. And that's my, that's my focus. That's how I um, talk to faculty members about it. I tell, you know, I just remind people, let's not get caught up on the few people who don't, who are willfully trying to misunderstand what we're doing. Mm. And let's really mm -hmm. focus on the community that we're serving. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You've got men's yoga, right? I mean, you've got yeah. all kinds of, I mean, you know, why can't we split into groups right. and do like, and, and have opportunity for people basically to find a group where they feel comfortable in bottom line, right? Because it, you know, it, it, it is an intense practice and you need to, and yeah, you don't want to be feeling in any which way that you're trying to regulate yourself amongst a whole bunch of people that you feel you haven't had the same experience with, you know? I mean, I've had, even had that walking in to a room in upscale yoga centers when I'm from a different background, you know, or I'm, I'm, or even I'm, even I'm a man actually, you know, with 90% women or, you know, so I can understand that. I mean, you've done now British wheel of yoga teacher training as well. So you're kind of branching out with the, and it's, is this with, are you as well? You were a consultant for British wheel. So, uh, at the time it was Paul Fox, who was the chair of Paul. the British Will yeah. of Yoga. I love yeah. Paul. Uh, yeah. Paul and I are good friends now. Uh, we didn't know yeah. each other then though. Yeah. Uh, but basically I re reached out to the British Wheel of Yoga to say, is there something that we could potentially do together? Because at that time I had been offering community yoga classes and, uh, I had so many women who would come in and after just a couple of times, they would say things like, oh, now I feel confident enough to move into a studio space. You know, that's how, that's how intimidating it can be from the outside if you've never gone into one. And so I reached out to the British Will of Yoga. Paul was super excited because at the time he was very focused on how can we open up the British Will of Yoga, which is traditionally an, an older middle-class white institution? How can we open it up to the people who are clearly missing from our membership? And so I worked with him and um, another person named Jazz Mullings Lambert, who at the time was the regional lead for North London at, the, at BWY. And we offered a two-year women of color course to become trained through the British Wheel of Yoga. It was a phenomenal course. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I know that Paul and I, I can speak for Paul a little bit because he said it to me previously, you know, he said it was one of the best experiences he's ever had and he has taught a lot of people. So, um, it was a special, you know, the British Wheel of Yoga hasn't offered it again since Paul is no longer chair. Uh, but those 
women who we met on the course, we're still in touch with and we're still working with them. Uh, they still come, you know, many of them attend uh, Oya retreats. Some of them work with Paul. One even worked with him on his book where she was uh, pictured, photographed doing the uh, postures in his book. So this isn't just about getting bodies in seats and getting bodies certified. It's really about creating something different. Mm, mm. I think that comes across very clearly. Um, I remember going into British Will actually as a young man. Um, I was maybe 19 or, or something like that, about 19. Oh, wow. And this was like, yeah, this was in the late 90s. And I mean, I don't know. I felt like, I didn't feel unwelcome, but I just definitely felt like I'm very much the odd one out. I mean, there's all these older ladies. <laughs> right. There's maybe one right. old guy and there was a conference. It was, I remember the, the regional conference and it was in um, right. Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, okay. And we went up there. Yeah, we went up there and uh, I was like, excited. Um, I'd been doing Hatha Yoga with my teacher, right? And, I, I, you know, it was a very uh, profound practice and experience I'd had. Um, and then I went up to the conference and it was a uh, like hundred uh, ladies, probably over 50, uh, middle class, you know, and then there was one older guy, I think, and me. And, yeah, I think at that time, I, I, you know, they were very nice, but you know, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not a question of people pointing the finger and going, you're the odd one out. It's just a feeling of like, ah, this is not quite fitting in. Do you know, like, you know, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be overtly like, you know, critical or racist or whatever. It's just like, you know, you just don't really resonate quite. And that's, I think the deeper exactly. point, you know, rather than oh, people are being raped. I mean, they may be, you know, like, which is a, you know, crazy in this day and age. But generally speaking, sure. I think it's just the resonance of like, we don't share a common perspective or history here, you know? Right. Um, and right. there's something in that. There's something in that, isn't there? Um, there's so, there's going to be a barrier in really yeah. being able to belong. Yeah. This, yeah. It's intangible. But I mean, I have a little bit of that experience. And, um, I would also, I suppose, ask, I mean, people that think it's exclusive, right? You've made this kind of um, thing and they're locked outside and they're kind of like wondering, well, what's going on on the inside that's different that I can't, <laughs> right? right. Well, what is going right. on? Is, is it different at all? I mean, you mentioned a little bit on a podcast I listened to that there was, you know, that the, you, you could point out to, to women of color that it wasn't necessarily to do with a different body shape. They couldn't do the posture. They just weren't doing the work, right? I mean, is it, you know, are there different experiences to be had within within the OYA group apart from just the, the centrality of belonging? I think there are in that um, there's a difference in culture. Let me put it that way. And that is not specifically due to the fact that we're black women and women of color. It's specific to the fact that we're trying to build community. So when we come together, it's not about there's this lack or I try not to work in negatives, but I'm going to work in negatives a bit right now. So uh, when you come into this space, no one's judging you for the clothes that you're wearing, the brands that you're wearing, what you're, um, you know, what you're eating and so forth. Right. So there's, we just take all of that out. We don't, we don't expect, and we, you know, even as faculty, we don't wear kind of the, the tight fitting popular brands. Um, we're not replicating those patterns in this space. And so I think that can help in the beginning. It's also, again, it's more about holistic wellness and creating an environment in which people can really open up, be vulnerable, uh, be present to what's coming up. Um, <clears throat> and we very much honor um, the origins of any practice that 
is being utilized in this space. So we have, for example, a Reiki master who's, I can't imagine a Reiki master anywhere uh, offering Reiki and not explaining what it comes from, right? And similarly, um, we have psychotherapists and sexological body workers and all of these people who are honoring the lineage from which, in which they've studied. And in, if you will, the, the wide, <laughs> expansive uh, yoga lineages that exist, uh, we're talking about um, more than just postures, right? When we're talking about, we really go into the origins of this faith and wisdom and philosophy tradition and also have to do that in a way that people who come from different wisdom, faith, and, and spiritual traditions feel comfortable with it. So we're not dogmatic with anything that we offer. We're not saying this is the only way, this is the only path. Um, We're really giving people space to have their own experience. And at the same time, honoring that this is a practice, whatever the practice is, this is a practice that has helped us. So I think there are a lot of elements that make it a different experience. I was going to say, now I do feel excluded. It, it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds great. It's, uh, if, if, only, um, if only we could have more of that in the, you know, in, yeah, in the regular uh, yoga sphere, you know. I mean, it, right. you're not only you're doing something, you know, great to support women of color, you know, and make people feel comfortable and, you know, and, and belonging. You, you know, it also sounds a, a fantastic yoga offering. And, and I have to mention Stacey's book, which she sent me before the podcast to read. And it's a fantastic book. Um, and it really fleshes out i think i think what i was saying to you before is that it's democratic it's approachable but it's also not it's not watered down i mean you know stacy you know really uses the terminology you know that's that's quite precise and 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 technical as well as you know making it practical and, and kind of inclusive as well so i think you you know you're treading a fine line and you're doing it well i mean i suppose one thing i got kind of fixated on at the start of your explanation was the fact that you don't do you, do you not allow the? I mean, it's a silly thing after everything you said, but do you not allow the faculty <laughs> members not to wear the, the the you know the brands? Are they, are they just can't no, wear. I, mean, I would no, love no, no. to. There's, I would love not to see. If I didn't see another little uh, little certain logo again, I would. I would. Be, it would be too soon. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not even about allowing or not allowing. I think the the people that I work with, we're all just kind of at that stage in our careers and our practice where we're just happy to come in, you know, loose clothing that's comfortable. There's no one, um, obviously in the book, yoga is resistance, equity and inclusion on and off the mat. I do talk to different, um, if you will, uh, professionals across the yoga industry, quote unquote industry. And so I am talking to teachers, I am talking to studio managers or owners, and I am talking to brands. And I do, just for people who haven't read the book, I do mention a brand that I feel very confident is uh, on a journey uh, and was really founded with belonging in mind. So we do wear, we do wear brands, (laughs) but we might not wear those brands that you know, aren't the most popular that you come across, across different social media channels. And it's not about being allowed or not. But honestly, if you're doing a workshop, let's just say we have an urban retreat coming up uh, this Saturday. If you're like sitting in circles and maybe only 20% of the time you're practicing posture, do you really want, do you really feel comfortable sitting in like these tight leggings and like crop tops for an entire day? Probably not. Most people feel a, a, a 
attention around, you know, self-consciousness around their body. Um, I know I do after uh, two years of COVID, I have a, a, what I call my COVID belly. And so like, I don't want to, <laughs> so I'm happy to sit in baggier clothes and just relax and not worry about like my pooch sticking out and everyone looking at it. Cause no I one cares. That's a nice word for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened, you know, I mean, it's like when I started, we didn't, we didn't have the brand I mean, we had, you know, sometimes you'd wear like either like surf like surf shorts or cycle shorts depending right or even I said yeah I mean it was just a different nature and it's just I don't know how things have become so so harsh and something which should be so gentle and nurturing and it has wound up to be like I mean even for example the cost of the pants and stuff if you go into oh, these yeah. shops I mean you know that's, ex- yeah, that's exclusive pounds. in the first place I mean it's, you know right. crazy it, it shouldn't be like that so I mean what you're doing is you know I mean it's spreading out much more than you know just just for this, uh, you know, inclusivity thing. But on that note, I suppose, how do you take that out? I know you've done advisory work for, and you do advisory work for different brands and yoga centers, et cetera, on, on how to, you know, make sure that they, they have the correct policies in play. Um, and there was a funny one recently when I was listening to you on a podcast that you're having a discussion and I think it came up where well, you can't just use your staff you know you can't just kind of say oh well you're you're you, you happen to be a black staff member well you know you can take care of the point <laughs> that sounded like it's kind of hilarious to think that that would be the case that people will be doing that i mean you know i mean so you know can you just walk us through a little bit about how for, for example i'm I mean, thinking of an obvious uh, big yoga center in london for example um how you might how you might uh, go go and um, you know help them make make uh, the studio more inclusive so I, I won't name my clients, but it is well known and it, it is in the public domain that I work with the largest yoga studio chain here in London. And, you know, it's a process and it's something that you can't expect things to change overnight because what's difficult about this work is it's not just about, it's not just a, uh, an external change process where we change processes and then, yay, we're, we're done right? There's a lot of internal work that has to happen at the same time for, for the external work to be held sustainable. That's what I often talk about with my clients. Um, after George Floyd's murder in 2020, obviously we're you know deep in our first lockdown here in the UK. Then there's um, this movement for Black lives across the world. And a lot of yoga studios were confronted with some of their missteps, right? You know, many of them posted black squares on Instagram. The black square had nothing to do with what they were posting about, but they were trying to show some solidarity without knowing much. And that's always the problem, right? When we want to take action, but we haven't done the work yet. And so uh, many of the, I have to say, many of the members of the OYA community said, no, we're not having it anymore. And that's how I wound up working with a lot of um, studios, teacher training schools. And there was this resistance because many of them would say things like, but we're, we're kind. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm happy for you that you are kind, but being kind is not intentional enough to undo work of centuries. Right. And so there's this resistance like, Oh, if I am being told I have to do this work, then I'm being called racist. No, you're not. Um, or if I'm being told that I have to do this work, then you're saying that, you know, we treat people badly or we were exclusive. No, what we're saying is you have to do this work. Full stop. 
we all have to do it, irrespective of our identities, irrespective of our backgrounds. We all have to do the work because of the society in which we've grown up. A lot of that is already ingrained in it, right? It's ingrained in the systems and the institutions, and we don't even see it. That's why when we go on uh, something like Instagram and do, you know, search hashtag yoga and see white, likely female, likely skinny, uh, bendy bodies, we might not question it because mm. unfortunately mm. that has been the default. Yeah. It's so normative <laughs> that you don't it's, even it's, see yeah, it anymore. You, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that, you know, the work is really an unlearning process. And as yogis, we love that word. Oh, unlearning. That comes up all the time in Kundalini. So, you Does know, it? when right. when you, yeah, <laughs> yeah <okay. laughs> a lot. Never done that Kundalini, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if what, what I've been able to do in uh, my work is really make it relatable so that people move out of their defensiveness and really are in a place of openness and understanding, okay, yes, I am white and I am this and I am that. Um, and no one is saying that that automate automatically makes me, you know, a bad person or a racist or whatever. And, you know, and I'm sure some people listening might be um, concerned that I'm, you know, holding hands or being speaking to the fragility, but I'm actually not. I'm ensuring that we can get the work done. Because it's one thing if I go in as a consultant and, you know, I say, da 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 and I do my work and I do my interviews and I do my focus groups and we have our workshops and then I put this great plan together and it falls flat because the other work was left unmanaged, the internal piece. And so it is really important in a way that it may not be with a merger and acquisition, um, even though mergers and acquisitions also fail because of culture. Um so it's the, really the same thing. If we're not looking at culture, if we're not looking at the internal piece, then we can't actually get to the work. Mm, mm. Is I mean, what is the practical work of this? I suppose, you know, in, I, I'd like you to flesh it out a bit. And yes, I mean, sure. I think, to, you know, just to, to uh, comment on what you just said, I suppose it's easy to get trapped as a white person in the guilt. And and I think what you're more saying is like, well, that, and, and you know, I mean, many notable people have said as well, it's like, well, yes, I mean, there's work to be done, but I mean, it's easy to, oh, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, and then the guilt and the shame comes and then you never get past that. It's like, well, we don't, you know, I mean, you don't want, I, you know, like, no one wants someone else to feel guilty or, you know, shamed. That's not helpful. And it doesn't, you know, rectify or make anything better in the future, right? So I think, you know, putting people at ease and saying, well, you know, like, it wasn't necessarily your fault, right? <laughs> no one's blaming you necessarily, but we're just saying, like, you know, there are normative conditioned responses in place that we have to be, you know, we have to be able to see, you know, and they're closer than your nose. So, you know, you really need to be quite thoughtful to, 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 and, and make conscious effort for quite a period of time, you know, to see your responses and you, you know, kind of like, how do they call it? Um, you know, your unconscious prejudices, you know, I mean, but I mean, you talk about the work, many people talk about the work and I ask, um, Lashana, a uh, small who also appeared, um, talking about a similar subject on the Gideon Yoga podcast. What is the actual measures that you can say you're, you're putting in place? Um, to to uh to change things sure um i just want to speak really quickly that's a really important point that you mentioned about guilt and shame so guilt guilt works slightly differently than shame because guilt is 
a bit more externally focused, whereas shame is really, I am a bad person. And once shame is settled in, so instead of saying, you know, I did something wrong, guilt, I say, I'm a bad person. And then when I do that, now I'm in this place of paralysis almost. And as long as the mindset is still stuck on, I'm a bad person, there's really, it's really hard to get into a, an open position for change. So that's a really important point. And that is exactly what I'm trying to steer clear of is shame. When it comes to the actual work, and I will just say, uh, I do outline this in great detail in the book for those interested. And again, I do that for teachers, for teacher trainer schools, studio owners, and brands. Uh, But just to make some examples from a teaching point of view first, um, often what I would hear and continue to hear when I consult with folks is, oh, well, we don't have X, Y, Z where I am, you know. You know, I consulted with folks who were in Scotland uh, outside of Edinburgh. Oh, well, we don't have that many X, Y, Z. And first of all, that's not a not a constructive um, argument because. <laughs> well, you might not have them because they don't come. They don't, exactly. you know, they're around, but you they don't come. Because, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, they might be there, but also there's this, this notion that uh, only what's visible is what matters. But you don't know, I always talk to teachers about, you don't know who's sitting in front of you. You don't know the histories and her stories that they're bringing with them in that body that they carry. So that's one part. But another part is in doing this work that makes your class more accessible for even the most marginalized, then you're making it a place of belonging for everyone. Everyone benefits when you do that work. So uh, one example that I make in the book that I, I make in the book specifically because I've made it in so many different workshops and it really resonates is, you know, there are these in the U.S. and the U.K. specifically, they're calling them culture wars. I think it's more than that, but we'll use that word. There are these culture wars taking place right now around gender and irrespective of where you sit on that spectrum not going into it, (laughs) but irrespective of where you sit on that (laughs) spectrum, um, we have to acknowledge that there are um, people who identify as women who were born designated female at birth, right? Um, Who don't menstruate. There are people who were designated female at birth who have not been able to conceive a child. There are people who were designated female at birth who have all these other things that are not mainstream topics, right? Only recently have we started talking about menstruation and menopause and these things in the mainstream. And it's still a bit mainstream adjacent, I'd say. So when making assumptions around who can give birth and who can menstruate and, you know, the power of a woman being in giving birth to a child, that could be really triggering for someone who has been on a fertility journey and has been unsuccessful, right? And that actually happened uh, in a class from a client, you know, the the uh, female teacher was kind of just going on and on and about it, even though it was like a general class, it wasn't a pregnancy class, it wasn't a women only class, it was just a general class, where um, the person who was suffering. And I use the word suffering because that is what the person called it. Um, Suffering from infertility was completely taken off guard by the conversation. And 
it through her and her own feelings of shame about not being able to do this thing that was so important to her. And she didn't return to yoga for almost a year Mm, mm. and didn't feel comfortable speaking up until this whole conversation was taking place in 2020 around inclusion in yoga. And so a lot of people think when they see this body that I inhabit as a black woman, that when I'm talking about inclusion in yoga, I'm only talking about black people. Mm, And that's mm, not true. mm, That's not mm, true. Mm. Um, I'm talking about inclusion in yoga. There are a lot of people who are not participating today. Yeah. With a and lot I, of different identities. And I think you made a good point. It's like with the yoga studios saying, in, you know, in Edinburgh or Scotland or whatever, say, well, we don't have many of them. You know, it's like, um, well, even if you have one, I mean, uh, you know, you know, you've got a couple of people that, are, you know, are, mar- are marginalized identities, right? One, firstly. And secondly, by making those people fit in, you make everyone fit in because everyone's harboring, incom- you know, a lax- lack of confidence and, and sense of difference somewhere, you know, in their lives, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and in, in nurturing everyone, you just bring the majority with you as well. So, you know, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's Another example of this, I, uh, recently a friend of mine, uh, she had a stillbirth right? and uh, she was trying to go to a postnatal class. But of course, in the postnatal class, it was tr- terribly triggering, right? Because, you know, and, and, you know, and it does happen and it happens more than, you know, one is aware of, right? So, I mean, I think we all need to just, you know, we're, we're doing this thing, which is an incredibly, you know, kind of new thing of taking yoga to the mainstream, right? Taking this thing, which is a potent discipline of, of unlocking trauma and, and uh, you know, intention and, and deep energetic blocks in the body. And we're just learning how to do it now. And it's such a recent endeavor, you know, in the last 40, 40 years, the public yoga class, you know, and really 20, 20 odd years that it's really exploded, you know, that, uh, you know, this is really the infancy and we need to learn to how to, you know, put the foundations down properly now, planning for the future, you know. So, I mean, how would you see, would you have any aims and wishes for, for how do you see your your vision transpiring or evolving you know over time I mean, how would you like to see things going <laughs> yeah i'm cautious with that <laughs> uh and i'm also aware that there's not one way to get it right um that can be very hard to accept um when especially people of marginalized identities, we really just want to get to this place of where there's no more marginalization, right? And and I know that we're along, that's like my simple answer. I want to get to a place where in yoga and beyond, um, everyone, literally everyone of all identities um, can have the choice to access what is a very profound and transformative practice. Because I don't think, more broadly, <clears throat> when I look at what's happening in the world, we really need people sitting still with their thoughts. We really need people understanding in the moment what is triggering them so they have a choice to respond rather than react. We need that, right? In this world where um, there's violence um, toward the earth, there's violence towards humans, there's violence towards animals. We need to see, we need to see that change. So that is my very short answer. What I'm hopeful for in my own lifetime is to see kind of a de-commodification. In the book, I talk about hyper-commodification of yoga, hyper-consumerism. And I say that my first degree is a master's of science in economics. Um, 
And I, and I no, I just say that because I, people have assumptions about what yogis do and don't do. I have a, I have a master's of science and economics and, and I'm not here to demonize capitalism, but there is something very problematic with neoliberalism in the sense that everything is about yes, no, I don't like it. I want it. You know, <laughs> I wanted this, I want that. And, and for the yoga industry, again, quote unquote industry, we see that same pattern being replicated. And what I would really hope is that we can move away from that, um, that we can really come to recognize first and foremost that this practice is from South Asia. And, um, and it was denied the people who grew up in it during British colonialism. And today what we practice is a direct consequence of that colonialism. And so what can we contribute to decolonize the practice? What can we contribute to move away from, you know, some people call it cultural appropriation or cultural misappropriation, whatever you call it. What can we do to honor the roots, the tradition, and still stay true to whatever we've grown up with? I'm not saying that, you know, you have to to convert in any way, but there is a way to honor the roots of the practice and, and stop sacrificing the integrity of the practice for the sake of a dollar. Yeah. I mean, can you speak any more specifically, any examples of the, the I mean, cause people will say, what, what do you mean? I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not appropriating or, you know, I mean, just, I like these yoga classes and, you know, like my local <laughs> yoga, right? you know, you know, what, what, what yeah. you know, give some tangible examples of people can get their teeth into a sure. little bit maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Are your listeners more teachers? Are they practitioners? Uh, oh, both. We have so many listeners that I mean, a whole spectrum of uh, of people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's what I struggle with when it comes to teachers and people who trademark Sanskrit words. I, you know, I struggle with um, their often. So people do not come for me and tell me not everyone. But often these teachers um, are not truly honoring the fact that this isn't something that just occurred to them. And even if they feel like they've built on something from their own teachers, they've not actually invented anything new. This is a practice that has been around for thousands of years, right? So anything that we're doing is still definitively embedded in a practice that has existed. And so I think Move, move out of the ego of this desire to say, I invented something or I created something um, and really acknowledge um, the roots. I, that's what teachers can do. Also, I understand the, the studio models. People feel like 60 minutes isn't enough to do, to do that. And I would disagree. There, there are many ways. You know, we, um, I'm a part of a collective called Radical Darshan. We founded a 300-hour Yoga Alliance accredited advanced yoga teacher training, and we even pushed back in the process of becoming accredited. We weren't sure if we wanted to do it, but we eventually decided we wanted to do it because we want people who go through what is a very intense training with us for that work to be acknowledged. And so we pushed back with Yoga Alliance on some specific points. Our faculty is predominantly um, South Asian. Um, and we said, no, this is, this is also yoga because yoga aligns at some point was like, mm, is that really yoga? And we were like, yes. <laughs> and we outlined, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, it says this and this and this. So 
there are way. And so when we teach our students about, yes, we understand you have a 60 minute, a 75 minute, a 90 minute. And these are the ways where you can still ensure that the origins of yoga show up in your class. It doesn't always have to be an elaborate ritual for people to get just a taste because mm. I, mm. my own experience in starting yoga in Germany 15, mm. over 15 years ago was I didn't know that it came from India. Really? <laughs> That's crazy, isn't that. it? <laughs> and again, going back to my master's program, a, a big chunk of my master's was uh, on in the South Asia Institute. We have the university I studied, we have a, a very renowned South Asia Policy Institute. So if someone should know it, it should have been me. You honestly and didn't did know that. Know. Are you just saying that? You're I just saying that. No. You honestly no, no. didn't know. Oh, I that's, honestly that's did horrendous, not know the it? way that they were oh, teaching. There was no mention oh, of India. <laughs> I mean, another funny thing that strikes me as kind of ironic is you know that um, like any any master in India, or be it Krishnamacharya or whoever else, would always dedicate the work they've done to their teachers. Say, well, it wasn't me that did it. It was you always. know, yeah, it was them, right? Like you know, so it's kind of funny, isn't it, that now people are just taking yeah. respon- you know personal responsibility for this work. Yeah. I mean, anything practical that t- you can now, just just as we wrap up now, the safer teachers, you know, like say you're, you know, say you're me, like uh, just a general white male teacher, you know, relative, getting more informed, just, you know, um, have, you know, relatively new to the subject and you're trying and, you know, and you want to make sure that you're not, you know, unconsciously doing stupid stuff, basically, you know, saying, you know, because, you, you know, because, you know, I came from a place where, you know, this wasn't even an issue 20 years ago, right? Like, I'm sure I was offending people left, right, and center, but, you know, it hadn't come to the collective consciousness, you know? Now it is. Now, and it's, and we're, we're very fortunate it is. And uh, how could I, you know, and how can we use certain language maybe, certain cues, certain ways of when people come in or when they leave or, you know, it, it, you know can, you, sure. can you flesh this, this out at all? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yes, there's a lot that we can do. Obviously, I'll, I'll just give three quick points. One is uh, to acknowledge as a teacher specifically the power that comes with that role. And power is one of those words that triggers a lot of different <laughs> emotions and different people. People have different reactions to that word. But in a teaching role, irrespective of what you're teaching, you have a lot of power there. And so acknowledging that is a really first important uh, step. And so that power shows up in different ways. Uh, it shows up in how you, sh- how you lay out your room. Uh, it shows up in how you talk to your students as they come in, when they leave, how you instruct. So one of the, I was talking to a friend the other day, I was an athlete when I was a child and I always assumed that I would just automatically do vinyasa like obviously vinyasa is going to be my thing because that's the most in my mind you know years and years ago please (laughs) you know that's the most athletic form and I hate it and I absolutely hate it and it took me a long time to realize why even though I would force myself to go why I hated it it was because teachers weren't giving me space they were saying inhale and then exhale and then now move like you know and I was (laughs) I was just trying to breathe the way the teacher was telling me to breathe and it wasn't working for me. And I've, and I've just never gone back. Um, after a good while of really trying it, the teachers that I was encountering, they weren't giving me space to breathe and move at my own pace. I don't think and it's so possible. That- it's not possible in a vinyasa class, honestly. I don't, you're, you're not on your own. I go see, 
how it's but i did one i did one vinyasa class i was just laughing all the way through because it's in, you know you, you cannot you cannot possibly regulate your breath and, and you know whilst you're looking at the front and trying to get your leg over to do crazy thing or whatever it's called you know it's just ridiculous like, right yeah. yeah okay yeah. great i feel a lot better now yeah so, so you're not you on know, your own there don't one. worry yeah <laughs> So that's number one, acknowledge Mm. the power that you have in your role and use it for good. Um, Number two, really simple thing here. Don't use gendered language that comes up a lot in yoga classes. Oh, the masculine and the feminine. Yes. And, and we all irrespective of our sex and irrespective of our gender, we all inhabit the masculine and the feminine. So don't assume anything about any of your students and let them choose what they're doing, and don't relate masculine and feminine to man and woman. Really simple. Uh, And number three is uh, something, because you've asked me to be specific, so there will be a fourth one. Uh, So (laughs) number three is um, speak things into the space because it takes out some of the power and the, the tension that is perhaps escalating or building or just kind of suffocating the space. So for example, I can't imagine um, over the last two years where I was doing yoga online with my teachers, which they would have never done before. I can't, I can't imagine they're not saying something about why we're doing that, right? Obviously, someone would say, you know, in these times of COVID, we are doing this, this, and that, right? Or when it's really, really hot in a place like London, every teacher is going to speak to the fact that it's really, really hot. And then everyone kind of, that tension kind of releases, okay, the teacher understands it's hot. They're not going to expect me to do all these crazy things, but we don't do that on the touchier things. I've not been in a, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen as often. I, I was not in one class where someone talked about George Floyd's murder. It would have meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, I didn't, I've not attended a class where, you know, people talked about there are things happening all over the world every day. Um, so just speak to people's, you know, potential uh, emotional, mental, emotional state, because it really helps to feel seen. Don't be afraid of speaking it into the space. When you speak it into the space, it transforms the space. So one, recognize your power and your role. Two, don't use gendered language. Three, speak things into the space, even if it feels uncomfortable, because it will help someone in the space. And lastly, inform yourself. Read things like my book and many other books that exist. Um, there are a lot of great books out there. Um, and, and, you know, really start to get comfortable with these conversations. Be courageous and have those conversations, both with your peers um, and, and, you know, with the people, your colleagues, peers, and whomever else to really understand that this is something we all have a responsibility in, not just a few of us. That's fantastic. I haven't got any other words to, I'll leave it there and and (laughs) spoil it by more babble from me. So I want to say thanks. (laughs) Thanks so much for for coming on the Keenan Yoga podcast. And it was a wonderful episode and and we're really grateful to have you. And yes, um, people can find Stacey um, at Oya. Is it, what's the website? We'll put the the links in the, uh, in the, uh, bio bit at the end so don't worry about that (laughs) (laughs) 
they'll find you and read the book. It's a really bloody good book. Um, as I say, read Stacey's book. It is uh, technical and as well as very approachable, down-to-earth language, but, you know, some serious stuff there. She's talking about proper yoga philosophy as well as ways that we can be more conscious. So, um, thank you again. It's been wonderful to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you.